Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. This is Mary Davidson, one of your co-hosts. And in today's episode, we are talking all about galas, tips, and tricks. So we're talking about auctions, galas, galas, whatever they're called. They are all fundraising events. And in fact, a very popular type of fundraising event. And so we're going to get into a bunch of tips and tricks, and it might even get a little bit opinionated. Now, heads up. Because I recorded this episode and I did something unthinkable in the podcast world, and that is that I forgot to plug in my microphone. So right now you're hearing me hopefully crisp and clear, but in the coming episode, it might be a little bit more grainy. I promise you the content is still there and we appreciate you just sticking through it with us. Take a listen to any of our other episodes and you'll see that typically we have pretty good audio. And so thank you again for sticking with us. Now let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow, and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started, and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. Okay, everyone, welcome back. We are so happy to be with you today. And by we, I mean me. I am here alone. I'm doing a solo episode today. But you know what? We try to do this every so often. And so um, there are lots of reasons why this happens. Mainly, this is a busy time, a busy time for a lot of people. It's crazy event season. So Logan's doing a lot. I'm doing a lot. We decided to do two solo episodes. So you're going to hear from me. You're going to hear from her. And it's going to be a good time today. So, of course, if I'm by myself, you better believe that we're going to talk about fundraising events. So I didn't really introduce myself. My name is Mary Davidson. <laughs> I'm the host of the Veterans Podcast. Not joined um, with us today is Logan Clements, our lovely co-host. Um, so wishing her well and all that she is working on right now. Um, but so, you know, we start with a conversation starter. This time, as I'm by myself, we, we're going to, I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to try not to say we, because I'm so used to, to having someone else here with me, but we um, are shaking things up. And so I want to start off by asking you listeners, what are your travel plans this summer? You know, I love talking about travel anytime that I can. So Logan just got back from Singapore and I just got back from England and Belgium. And so it's just nice to get out of your day-to-day routine. This is a friendly reminder of that. Go make some memories. I hope that you're finding some ways to, to get out um, the spring, the summer, um, this year, just to make more memories. So that's what we're talking about today <laughs> at this moment for our conversation starter, before we get into our actual topic on galas, tips, and tricks. And as I kind of alluded to before, we picked this topic because I, I'm a nerd about fundraising and I want to talk about it. Um, I've been involved in fundraising for over 11 years and about seven years ago, um, that transitioned into events specifically. And so we've talked about fundraising event strategies for nonprofit organizations. That was episode number four, if you can believe it. We are 101 episodes in. I am seriously honored to be the 101st episode of the podcast. And here we are again talking about fundraising events. So it's been a little while, obviously, since episode four that we've talked strictly fundraising for an episode. And so there's a lot to talk about. Galas, I mean, we're going to share the tips and tricks. We're going to break it down into four parts. We're going to talk strategy, timeline, working with committees and boards, and then actual auction logistics. Now, I do have like a little bit of a a disclaimer. Before we get into this, I am, I'm going to get on my soapbox and I'm going to share my opinion. Uh, Galas are not always the best event to raise funds for your cause. 
Um, in fact, they are a more traditional event to raise funds, a more traditional way to do it through an event. During the pandemic, things like ungalas started popping up, which takes away um, the traditional components of your gala and auction, really. So this is definitely a trend and even a shift right now in the industry where you uh, limit the number of auction items, for example, you only have a select few ways to raise funds at your event and you do a raise the paddle or like a fund a need or a mission moment. Um, this is this is a shift and it's something that I personally am absolutely on board with. It's much more mission driven and I'm all about that. As I mentioned before, my background originally wasn't fundraising before events. And so um, this is something that I think about a lot and I've seen as kind of an issue many times, times and time and time again. And so um, I love that there's the shift into a more mission-driven and maybe even community-centric form of fundraising, including with events. So bonus points, you know, if it's community-centric for events. And as we talk about this, we're going to talk um, about the traditional gala components today. Now, that being said, of course, it's me. I'm here. I'm going to share my opinion. And at the end, I'm going to share some thoughts and what I've been seeing specifically lately, some of which I just mentioned, but with more uh, further detail and so I'm going to provide suggestions and thoughts about how you can innovate. Um, but so this is kind of for everybody. If you are a fundraising professional, an event professional, a board member, anybody who might be involved in planning a, a gala type of event, this episode really is for you um, because we're going to cover the traditional components and then some innovative components as well. So hopefully we can appeal to the masses here and I'm excited to, to chat more about it. Now, let me just get this out of the way. Is it gala or is it gala? I don't know. Gala. <laughs> gala. Well, you know, say whatever you want to say. Maybe it's an auction. Um, we're calling it gala, as you notice. That's where that's where we're going today. So hopefully you can just like soak that in your eardrums and it's okay if you pronounce it differently. Who knows how the right way to say it is. So, all right. As I said, we are going to start talking about strategy. Strategy is a big word. Like, what does that even mean? I'm going to kind of talk you through the process, how I do it. Um, and how I've seen others do it. This has been a huge learning process. I will say when it comes to the different types of fundraising events, galas are the ones that at this point in time, when this episode is being released, I probably do the least of them. Um, way more common is these non-traditional fundraisers, like the ungalas, so these mission moments, these um, luncheons even, or boutique fundraising events is kind of what I like to call them. So uh, take that for what it is, but I've learned a lot of hard lessons with galas. And so that is how this episode was born. Um, so strategy, as we've talked about time and time again on this episode with any event is that you want to start with why your North star, why are you doing this gala? And is it because you've been doing it every single year? That's a terrible reason to keep doing it. <laughs> Please reflect on this with yourself, with your committee, your organization, whoever it is, the key stakeholders, that are making decisions for this event, please reflect on why. Why are you doing this event? Why are you starting to do it? Why are you continuing to do it? What's the point? This is an extremely important conversation that everybody needs to have and everybody needs to get on board with because you are going to make decisions based on this. So you're going to start with why. And then another thing that you can talk about, um, th these are in, you know, I guess if you can imagine like the initial meeting, like you're, you've decided you're going to do an event, everybody gets together. This could take place in the first or second meeting, maybe both, depending on how lengthy your conversations are. But this is where you're setting the groundwork for a successful event. So you've established why. Now you're going to talk about theming and messaging. So pick a theme for the event. 
you know, it's, I think theming is always fun. There's so many different ways you can, you can move forward with it. Um, you know, you could do a like anniversary theme. Let's say it's like the 50th year of your organization. You're going to do a 50th year celebration gala. Um, or, you know, just something that's like, you're all about making bold moves. So, or you're going to, um, have bold theming and messaging throughout the event. You know, just think of a type of theme, um, and with this, you're going to talk about literally like the graphic, the graphics component, like what's it going to look like? How are we going to incorporate it? How are we going to incorporate it in our marketing? What do we want to say? What words do we want to use? How are we going to incorporate this theme in our messaging? Uh, what do we want attendees to, you know, understand about this theme and what phrases are we continuing to drive home time and time again, whenever we talk to them about this event? And then also you're going to tie that into the program. How are we trying to, we talked about being bold before. This is from a, an event that I'm currently working on, so it's kind of fresh in my brain. So how are we going to be bold? How are we going to encourage attendees to be bold? What's the program going to be and how is it going to reflect this theme? And so this is a nice conversation to have, but like, I want you to like weave your stakeholders through this journey of the event and figure out how the theme makes sense and how you're going to weave it through. Because with themes, it's tricky. If you don't kind of establish this at the beginning, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, like six weeks later. Wow. Yeah, we haven't really been talking about it. Like, how can we throw something together? So this is a good initial conversation. So strategy, we're starting with why we're talking about the theme and messaging. Next, we're going to talk about audience development, a.k.a. who are you inviting to your event? Who are you inviting to your gala? And this is where you really want to think about your, your major donors, your portfolio donors, your community partners. This is where you're going to start talking about sponsors and that expectation. Who Who's going to come and why? Is it an open invitation? Is it a select group from your donor audience? Um, how are you involving the community? Like, these are all such important conversations to, to have. And then, like, who from your, your team, your organization, your staff, or maybe, like, the people who you serve, depending on what kind of work the nonprofit does, if you're serving, you know, families, do you want families to come to this event? Um, and if so, in what capacity? So these are all important conversations. These are the strategy components that you want to establish at the beginning of your gala planning process. And I cannot stress these enough because one of the big issues that I see with galas is that their ROI, their return on investment just tanks. And sometimes it, they, it catches them by surprise, especially now that we're all coming back you know, into in-person events. Things are more expensive than ever in the event world and just in the world. And so prices are increasing, but budgets are staying the same. Like, how are we going to have a good return on investment for this event? And that's why these strategy conversations are truly so important, because through them, you actually might establish that you want to go about things differently than you ever have before. You want to raise funds differently. You want to cut costs. So please do not skip. This is a very important part. And please have these conversations. So that's step one when planning a gala. So the big next step two is the timeline. Oh, timelines are crazy. There's so much we could talk about. I think like I use a gala planning timeline template that I I've just started creating with my team because, you know, eventually you need to have templates for things when you do them over and over again, it'll make your life easier. But I think there's like 138 items on this timeline. Like galas are a thing. They <laughs> take a lot of resources. So I'm going to talk you through the timeline. 
um, briefly. I'm not going through all 138 items, don't worry. But I want you to understand kind of what components um, should be in your timeline, aka what components of the event are you planning? This is really the chunk, the meat. This is the piece that we're, um, that I think will be really helpful for you as you're continuing to, to plan your galas. Um, so let's just dive into that right now. We're talking about just tasks, essentially, and I'm going to just roll it off my tongue and you can um, take it for what it is. But so um, you started, you, you've had that kickoff meeting where, where you've established your goals. You've talked about your audience development and your theme. You need to confirm your venue. Whoa. Like first things first, get your get your date selected, get your venue confirmed. And sometimes those go hand in hand, right? Maybe you're going to select a date based on a venue that you really want to go with. Um, but please, I know it's been a while since a lot of us have been back in person. So let me send you a friendly reminder that when you're picking a venue, if they use preferred caterers, please check out those caterers pricing because, oh my goodness, I cannot tell you just lately. It's been crazy um, with organizations I've worked with. They select a venue. Then I come in. It's already selected. And then they tell me their catering budget. And I'm like, there's no way like these preferred caterers at this fit, like you, there's no way. <laughs> and so please, um, you know, loop all this together. You're going to confirm your venue for the gala. Now, it would be amazing if you can have this gala take place at the, the, the nonprofit organization. Now, that's like really hard to say, depending on like what the setup is and, and like who the beneficiaries are, all of the things. But like, is there a giant field? Do you want to put a tent up in the back, save on venue fees, but then instead you're bringing in a lot of rentals? Or do you want to take this somewhere? And then where are your supporters coming from? So this is like typical event stuff. Confirm your venue. Then um, sooner than later, I want you to finalize your partnership or sponsorship benefit package. So whether that that looks different for a lot of people nowadays, but like lock that in um, with what you're asking for and start making those asks sooner. You know, and let me pause here. Like how long do you need to plan a gala. I think this, the timelines have really shifted. Everything's happening quicker now, but I would say at least six months, like give yourself at least six months to plan a gala, because if you can set all your deadlines ahead of schedule, you are going to really thank yourself because the last, you know, two to three weeks of a gala is like a sprint. It's crazy. There's so much going on. This is when all the printing of things and the finalization of items happen. So if you can just be proactive in your timeline and get started sooner, it's really going to help you out. So that's how I know it's a jest. So let's keep moving down on some of these tasks. So send out a save the date. That never hurts, right? Just have people save the date that you want to invite. Um, you are going to start identifying your what what components that you want in the event. And that is so that you can confirm vendors that you might need based on that. Now, we want to lock in anybody um, who we need to book soon because, you know, it's crazy right now. Everybody's booking out. And so um, establish this sooner than later. So you're kind of establishing the event flow, if you will. And this is like a very rough draft, but at least you're going to understand your needs. Um, then it's nice to have a program content brainstorm. So next is when you really start getting into the program components. Like uh, once again, we've talked about the messaging and how we kind of want to weave that in, but who's going to do it and in what order and like how long do we want it to be? How many people do we want talking? What components do we want to have? Are we going to have a video? Because then that needs to start being made soon. Um, like, because, you know, videos are really, really traditional before an ask. And so, and I think that they are a great way to set up an ask too. Like I'm totally on board personally with things like this. And so start thinking through those components what you want the program to include, and then start making those asks for who could um, 
be the speakers that deliver those messages. Because once again, you need to get this event on their calendars and make sure that they're interested and lock in someone who's really strong, who's going to bring you know a lot of passion to the program. So you're going to secure these live speakers. Then you're going to start finalizing, finalize your catering menu. Do a tasting. Have y'all done a tasting? Because they're just fun. And most caterers or venues do them. Some don't, but most do. Just get that on the calendar because they usually schedule them out pretty far in advance. So you might as well do a tasting, figure out what your guests are going to be eating, and then finalize that catering menu. Um, now, if you're doing a table host, table captain um, type of seating situation, this is where you want to start identifying that strategy behind that sooner than later, because those those table captains or table hosts need like a special kind of care and a personalized invitation even is really helpful. So there you go. Um, you're going to do... Let's see what we have here. I'm looking at my list. There's so many things. I'm trying to keep it concise for you. Apply for your event permits. <gasps> yes, it depends on where you live. But if you need um, event permits, which we definitely need a lot here in Washington State for nonprofit fundraisers, depending on lots of components, but apply for your permits sooner than later. Um, all right, what we got? You can work on a match pool. This is great fundraising strategy. Are you going to have matches? What's it going to look like? Who are those coming from? And then start thinking through a larger fundraising strategy plan for the event. Are you doing raffles? What kind of revenue enhancers do you want? Um, we're going to talk more about the auction components later. So that's when we're going to start talking about um, the typical ways that uh, galas and auctions fundraise, which sneak peek is like your live auction, silent auction, um, games of chance, like raffles, heads or tails, dessert dash, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to talk more about that, but this is where you actually start talking about it. Like, what do we want to have? And this is also a big budget conversation because I think it's important to identify what do we need to be able to cover our costs and what's going to bring that. So that's that part. Now, ticket sales, hopefully sooner than later, you've, you've established what platform you want to use. The components of your event ticket sales are going to start soon. So woohoo, there you go. Now you want to uh, begin procurement also as soon as possible. So, and then make sure you're really clear with whoever's doing the procurement and what you're looking for. Because if you're not careful, you can get a lot of stuff. So when you identify that fundraising strategy, it's gonna help you identify what stuff you're trying to procure. Start that sooner than later. A lot of places need, you know, at least, I think like six weeks in advance, try to turn um, a donation around. So um, go ahead and start working on that and then really focus in priority on the live auction items. You can fill in silent with other stuff that comes in. You could fill in your raffle with other items that you get, but you really want to focus in on the live auction items. The best live auction items you can do are the ones that cost you nothing. Now that's like, well, yeah, I mean like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of live auction items um, are donated. So they, you know, don't have a cost to the organization. But what I mean are the unique ones that cost you, the organization, nothing. That could be a dinner with your executive director at some cool place and they could invite five of their friends. It could be um, an experience. You could name a part of a building for a year. Um, just like things that like are creative about the space that you have and the, the people that are involved with your organization. You could go like crazy on this. I've seen some really, really unique things. So be creative and see what you can offer that folks might get excited about. If you're a school, you could, you know, do a parking spot or something like that. Um, so this live auction, like make it fun, make it creative. Um, some 
components though for the live auction, I would say, are try to pick items that are gonna sell for at least $1,000 or more, or else it could be a silent item or an almost live, which is like a more expensive silent, also called super silent, but we're talking live auction here. And so have something that's gonna sell for $1,000 or more. That doesn't mean, mean it um, needs to be worth $1,000 or more, although that's great, but try to have something that's uh, that will sell for more, for at least a projected value, right? So um, that'll be super great if you can do something like that. Now, live auction items, this is where I'm going to start putting my input in because they traditionally that you would have like 20 plus. Now, organizations are having like maybe 10, like it's cut in half. So this makes procurement a lot easier. It makes your items that you have way more intentional. So this is like a huge shift that I've seen. It's just significantly less items all around, whether silent or live, but including with the live. Okay, so let's keep going because I don't want to take too much time from all of you because you have all your wonderful events to plan, but hopefully this is helpful for you. So we're going down the timeline here. You're going to start working on this script. And let me say, please get an auctioneer for this event. <laughs> Auctioneers, they if they do their jobs well, they should pay for themselves. They just do. So I would highly, highly recommend working with an auctioneer. Um, and so you're going to collaborate with them on this script. Now start looking at the supplies and thinking about supplies because there are so many supplies that you need for galas. And that is one of the components that make it such a huge time suck. And, you know, like it's 2023, we're more about sustainability and galas just, they require so much paper. And of course there's ways to do now online and mobile bidding now, which is amazing, but you're still going to be printing a lot of stuff. And so start thinking about your supplies. I'm going to mention what some of those supplies are later. Then start thinking about your signage. Start thinking about your volunteer roles and needs because these events need a lot of volunteers. Um, I'm just thinking like off the top of my head, some suggested roles would be folks to help with registration, data entry, checkout and gift processing, um, spotters if they need them, runners for the auction, live auction recorders, um, and then just set up, tear down, um, organizing the silent auction basket, setting those up. Like th there's a lot of people that you need to, to pull off these kind of events. So start thinking through those volunteer roles and get those asks out sooner than later. Work with your venue on floor plans or create a floor plan. Um, and then let's see, I'm trying to speed through these and looking at my list here. Eventually, this is the interesting thing about the timeline and galas that I want to point out is that as you get closer to the end, things all roll into each other. You have to do this so that you can do this so that you can do that. Like, and that's where it gets crazy and you can get super caught off guard if you're not proactive. So please create and do the things that you can now, now don't wait because the last few weeks like are crazy with other things. So if you have like a, a, a scrolling PowerPoint when guests enter and then during the live auction, you have a live auction PowerPoint well, you can start creating that now once you have your branding. You can fill it in later when you have all your items procured. But I would really, really stress cutting off procurement sooner than later, which ugh, that's hard, right? Because you want stuff, but cut it off so that you can create all of your assets that you need for the day of. Um, cut off ticket sales at a time that makes sense because once again, you need to start seating people. You need to get the meal counts. You need to do all those things. So please like respect deadlines when it comes to galas and you are going to really just thank me later <laughs> if that's not something. And if you're working with a group of people who are like, no, oh, it's just crazy. Like this is just how it is. It's 2023. Now's the time for change. Let's be proactive. 
Um, so, okay, so you're going to do all these things. You're going to um, start doing things like assigning bid numbers. You're going to assign packages to items. You're going to um, print silent displays if you're doing a silent auction. And if you, well, yeah, you should probably have a silent display. Um, you're going to print bid cards, if I didn't already say that. Um, and just so many, so many other things. Print bid sheets, print um, live auction recording sheets, and etc. etc. I could really go on here, but I'm going to stop. So is this overwhelming to you? Maybe it kind of is to me just thinking about it. Like there really are so many components that go into it, but you know what? It's okay. This is how it is. And this is the pros and cons about doing galas. So um, that's the timeline. Next, we want to talk through working with uh, committees and boards really quickly. So with boards, I would suggest boards or committees. It's all about creating expectations right? It's helpful to have folks help out with this event. And so what are the expectations associated with that? And I would say I'd usually break it down into like three to four asks of them. And this is coming from, you know, your, your board president, typically your executive director, like someone um, of leadership, because it's going to, it's going to land better and help people stay accountable. And so if you're, if you struggle with involvement from committee and boards, this is something that I found really helpful is that you go to them, you uh, board president, executive director, go to them, and you say, all right, we have this event. We have four options for you. We need you to attend. We need you to bring friends. We need you to volunteer or and or we need you to procure items. These are the expectations. Who can sign up to do what? And then each meeting, you're checking in to get, have people give updates on how they're doing. Now, if you have one you know, committee member or board member who's like really into it, Ask them, like, in the next meeting, will you please give an update on how, like, you're doing with the things that you said that you'd be accountable for? And this is peer pressure. That's what it is. But it works. Let me tell you, it's so interesting. And I think that a lot of board members and committee members, like, they either want to help and they don't have time or they don't know how to help. And so giving them options like this enables them to, to choose, but they're very direct. Like these are the four needs, which ones are you doing? And that's an expectation for everybody is to choose one of them. So maybe they can't come, but they can still procure items. Um, or maybe they don't want to pay the ticket and come to the event. They can still volunteer. Um, but I mean, like we really hope your board members are attending your events. But um, anyway, so that's my kind of quick two cents for working with committees and boards. And um, another thing is that, you know, we reflected back when we first started on starting with why. So something I would definitely recommend is when you form your committee or those key decision makers is asking each of them, what do you want to see out of this event? What does success look like for you individually? And then each person goes around and shares individually what they want to see come out of this event. It is extremely powerful. And a lot of the times everybody's on the same page, like in one way or another. And it's actually like miraculous because that makes making decisions way easier because actually we are aligned. And we know that now because everyone was able to voice specifically what this event meant to them. And so I would definitely recommend that. Now, step four, let's recap real quick. We've talked about uh, strategy the timeline, working with committees and boards for galas. Now, last thing is that we're talking about auction logistics. There is truly so much to talk about here. So I'm just going to, I'm going to roll out some, and this is, this is a continued conversation, but uh, auctions, I, I've alluded to that they typically include, you know, uh, 
live auction, a silent auction, a raise the paddle, like our mission moment, fund a need, whatever you call it. And then games of chance, whatever those look like. Um, and so when guests come to an event for a gala, they'll go and register or they'll check in. You know, they bought a ticket. They're going to show up. They're going to say, I'm here. This is where um, they'll usually get traditionally their bid packets, right? Those are behind registration. You hand it to them. It takes forever. You need a lot of volunteers. So I love the shift away from this. If you have seen this, I think it's amazing. Now, many organizations are giving guests escort cards that just say, you know, that's just honestly like a blank card. You can brand it and it says table number blank, bid number blank. Registration folks fill that in when they check them in and hand it to them. And that's it. That's what they're carrying around during cocktail hours is this little card that has this information. So they know where to sit and they know when they sit, what bid number to find because the bid cards are now pre-placed on the tables ahead of time. This is amazing. It's less stuff to carry around. It's less envelopes and packaging. Instead, I like to um, think of it as bid card bundles because on that bundle, you're going to have the bid card for each person. You're going to have a label with their name and table number on that bid card in case those get lost. And then on top of it, this is where you can, you know, be creative. You can have, um, if you play the traditional, you know, auction game of heads or tails, you can have a little card that's like a different color from the bid card that has that same bid number on it. It's essentially a mini bid card. And when it's time to play heads or tails during the live auction in the program, they just hold that up. Runners collect that, that gets taken to checkout, and then that gets starting to be entered. It's different because in, typically, uh, like a lot of times, heads or tails are sold during the, the cocktail hour just as raffle tickets are sold. But if you can eliminate so many opportunities for guests to interact and give during social hour, it's going to make what you do choose to have involved in that time much more impactful, if that makes sense. Like, I think we're overwhelming them with too much. So if we can really hone in and select like a like a, some strong handful of things, components that you want to have as part of your gala, um, then there's definitely ways to streamline it. And that's why I like this mini bid card idea um, for heads or tails that folks just hold up during the program when they're ready. Like you're not pre-selling any of that. So that's just a suggestion. Um, and so once again, auction logistics. So raffles, um, these are great to sell ahead of time, but please make sure your auctioneer like sweeps the room if you have more that you could be able to sell. Also, please check on your raffle permit licenses depending on where you live because there's definitely like a lot of rules around that typically. And with raffles, you could do best of live, which is also called pick of the live. If you have like an excess amount of live auction items, this could be a good thing for you to do. You could do a 50-50 raffle, which are popular, but they're also kind of, I think the expectation of them is a little odd, to be honest. But um, Or you can just do a raffle for an item or something creative. But you do want to make sure that your raffle is something that everybody wants. That is what makes a raffle successful. So please keep that in mind. Um, so then, like we said, we have your silent auction. Now, silent auctions. Okay, here's the deal. If you've done galas in the past, please go look at your reporting for how much an item sold versus how much it was its fair market value was. This is so important because like, as I've continued to check these reports over time, it is extremely common that most of the items do not sell um, to the worth of their fair market value. Now, this is okay because they're donated, so the organization is making money off these items anyway, but for the amount of time, work, and printing, like printing stuff, setting these items up, lugging these physical items from one place to another takes, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Or are we getting the right items to make this worth it? Because this basket is worth $500, but it only sells for $150. 
Like, is that worth it? You're still making $150, but think about all the time. Think about the, the resources and money spent to donate that basket would be better well served for them just to make a straight donation to your organization. So just this is silent auctions are tricky. And I am very happy to see them dwindling away, <laughs> I will say. Um, so there are many other auction um, logistics and components. Like some events go even crazier. They have so many things that you can do. They have wine pools. If you're a school, they have um, teacher experiences in addition to silent auctions um, and just lots of different ways that you can you can give, which is the point, right? We are gathering to raise funds for a cause at a gala, but sometimes it doesn't feel that way based on how much is going on. And so I want to tell you a little bit about um, more about what I've seen. Most commonly, I have seen elimination of paper products at these events. I've seen streamlining of process um, by keeping things easier for guests. For example, like we've talked about putting those pre-placing those bid cards on tables versus having guests carry them around. Um, I've seen eliminations of silent auctions altogether and instead doing raffles, like multiple raffles, which is interesting, or just a mini silent um, or a super silent, but it's not all of them. It's like one of them and we're going to make it good. Um, raise the paddle, that fun to need moment. Still like, yes, have those asks. Those asks are really everything. And that's what, the, what I've seen a lot of events turning into is really like one or two fundraising components. And then the raise the paddle, like super, super simplified types of events. And they have made uh, as much money as they've made in the past. That's the crazy part. It's like people know why they're there and they are coming to learn and give and also have some fun. Like you can still have, make it fun by cutting out some of these um, components of galas, but it's just, I've seen them become way more streamlined lately. And I think that it's pretty amazing to be honest. And so I, I'm excited for the change. I'm excited for anything that is uh, more mission centric. I think that's the Peak fundraising um, opportunity is when folks are giving because they are passionate about the mission versus because they're convinced by games. I think that is what it should be all about. That's what's going to create long-term um, sustainable donor relationships for organizations. And that's my soapbox. So there you go. But I hope that this was helpful for you. Now, one last thing is kind of, we do a bonus tip at the end of our episodes. I'm going to include this as the bonus tip, although it's very um, much about our topic today which is you might be wondering what auction platform should you be using for your event? There are so many out there. We've talked on this podcast about how there is not one platform that's good for anything for any type of event. Um, but what I will say is the one I most use and that most organizations use in the U.S. is Greater Giving. Another one I would recommend is Octria. And a third one I would recommend is One Cause. Now, Greater Giving and One Cause are around the same price, if I recall correctly. I actually haven't looked at their pricing in the last like six months, but um, they're on the higher end. And then Octria is definitely cheaper. So I, um, I'm i an Octria partner because, uh, shout out to Octria, because I used it a lot during the pandemic. This was really what was a, um, a, a saving platform for a lot of people when they did virtual auctions. But they have developed a lot over time and they have continued to develop in a way where they um, definitely still offer so much that's valuable for an in-person or a virtual gala type of event. And they're about half the price. 
And so I would definitely look into these three options. And there are lots of other ones out there that you might use and that you've heard about. And so, you know, just do your research. Those are the three that I most commonly recommend. I will say with Greater Giving, a lot of people love it or hate it, but you just can't get past their check-in, check-out process. I think it's amazing. Um, And so that is my opinion. Please email me if you'd like to chat more about this. I love fundraising events. I think fundraising is just like uh, amazing. And there's so many different ways to go about it. I love to see change not only in the event industry, but in the fundraising community. I'm, I'm excited to see uh, things develop over time and things change. And I'd love to hear what you're doing with your Gallup. Please tell me, tell me what you're thinking about. Tell me what you're seeing that's successful. I would love, love, love to hear about that. And so please reach out to us. You can follow us, find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Better Events Pod. You can email us at bettereventspod at gmail.com. You can also connect with me directly on LinkedIn or you can connect and or you can connect directly with my co-host Logan on LinkedIn as well. All of this information is listed in the show notes. So thank you so much for listening and we will be back with you again next Wednesday.